The perfect combination of versatile athleisure and training apparel has arrived. Thanks to the visionary minds of New Balance, Clutch Athletics, and Rich Paul, the designs reflect the heart of the athlete and the spirit of the community. With rising defensive football stars Will Anderson and Chase Young on the roster, Clutch Athletics brings the best innovative gear to all athletes, giving them style and performance on and off the field. Learn more and purchase Clutch Athletics at newbalance.com. Hey everyone, just a quick announcement. The episode you're about to hear was recorded on Wednesday before the Damian Williams news broke, so you won't be hearing about Damian Williams or Clyde Edwards-Elair on today's show. If you want to hear about that, we did record a bonus pod that was published on Wednesday afternoon, so go check that one out. All right, enjoy the show. This is Fantasy Football Today from CBS Sports. On his way to the It's time to dominate your fantasy league. What a play! Off to the races! Touchdown! Oh, he's done it again! Now here's some combination of Adam, Dave, Jamie, Heath, and Ben. Got an email from a listener last week that said, you guys should talk more about points per game. Why do I care about where these players finish? Tell me how they did points per game. All right, good idea. Today's show is all about that. Some noteworthy Point per game uh, notes, uh, noteworthy notes from last year. Like Stefan Diggs and John Brown averaged the same amount of fantasy points per game last year. And now they're on the same team. What does that mean? Then we'll also compare Daniel Jones versus Kyler Murray versus Gardner Minshew in the points per game there. You're not going to believe who was last in that group. Uh, we welcome you to this show here on a, a Wednesday for us, a Thursday for you. Adam Azer with Ben Gretsch and Heath Cummings and Jamie Eisenberg. And what's up, guys? How are we doing, Jamie? Doing great. Had a great interview with uh, Matt Ryan on CBS Sports HQ today. Very nice. Uh, he told us a lot of fun stuff about Hayden Hurst and Calvin Ridley and Todd Gurley. You should check it out. Oh, give me like one juicy nugget. Uh, he said Hayden Hurst is cl- cut from a different cloth, comparing him to Tony Gonzalez and Austin Hooper. He said he's a better athlete than those guys, at least what he's done so far working with him. All right. Woo-hoo-hoo. Heath, who have you spoken to today? I'm wondering on this point per game thing, is this going to be like official points per game or Azer points per game? <laughs> Mostly official points per game, but there are like, how can you take Daniel Jones's points per game and count week one when he threw four passes? So we're going to do like Gardner Minshew and Daniel Jones are going to yeah. be like actual games they played. Started, Good. started, Good. just started, yeah. Just started. Uh-huh. Well, well both, I have both. But Stuck in America, are you giving Gardner's um, London game? I count the London game. Yeah, I know no, wait, that didn't even happen in America. <laughs> <laughs> like, we, we don't play games in London anymore. We don't need to count the games that happened in London before. Maybe they'll move the entire season to like a London bubble. You never know. We got more opt outs to talk about today. Uh, hot off the press is Nate Solder. Again, this is Wednesday afternoon for us. Giants left tackle. Has not been a very good left tackle, but a veteran left tackle nonetheless. Opting out, Packers wide receiver Devin Funches has not been a very good wide receiver, but a veteran wide receiver nonetheless. Devin Funches not uh, opting out. Which one is a bigger deal for fantasy, Nate Solder of the Giants or Devin Funches of the Packers? Ben? I guess Solder, yeah. I mean, he's a starting tackle. I don't know that Funches was, wasn't even necessarily going to play a ton. You know, there was a possibility he could have competed for the number two spot, but um, especially with a shortened off season, I was expecting Lazard to be that guy. He already had developed a little bit of a rapport with Rogers late last year. 
And Funchess didn't really get a ton of guaranteed money or anything. He got kind of a, a small contract. I don't know that the Packers were really relying on him being like the guy or anything. What do you guys think, Heath? Yeah, I don't know that the, like these moves are not going to cause me to adjust my projections or rankings in any way. Okay. Uh, Jamie, is this bad news for Daniel Jones? And they could theoretically move their right tackle, uh, Andrew Thomas, who was the fourth pick in the draft, over to left tackle, but he's a rookie with no mini camps or anything like that. They have, I think, Cameron Irving, who's a veteran from the Cowboys, who's just kind of a swing tackle. But, you know, this is, this is not good. How big of a deal is it for Jones? I don't think it's a huge deal for Jones. It's not great, but... I don't think that Solder was going to make or break Daniel Jones this year. Obviously, having better protection helps. That goes without saying. But based on what Solder has done as a member of the Giants and the fact that they did draft someone as high as they did who has the pedigree that he has, I think that should allow for hopefully similar play, if not a potential upgrade. So for me, it's more fun just because I, I now it kind of solidifies if you're in the Alan Lazard camp that he should be the guy there because of what else is, is around um, this receiving core behind Devontae Adams. And then if you're looking for a couple of sleeper options, uh, Jay Sternberger becomes another one of these late-round tight ends if you're looking in deeper leagues, as well as maybe somebody like we talked about earlier this week, Reggie Bedleton, you know, somebody, or Begleton, however you pronounce it, um, you know, getting an opportunity from the CFL, you know, so Marcos Valdez-Scantling as well. So I, I think, you know, you should be relatively excited if uh, maybe you traded Alan Lazard to somebody in a dynasty league and, um, had to part with him like I, said, I did to Heath. <laughs> I said Cameron Irving for the Giants. Cameron Fleming would be the offensive lineman formerly of the Cowboys. Not that anybody really cares. Um, that's all the opt-out news we got right now. We do have some other news and notes from around the NFL, and then we'll get into points per game. We are also one of 20 finalists for the sports category of the People's Choice Podcast Awards. If you're tired of me telling you this, we only have a couple more days. The nomination process ends at the end of the month, the end of the month of July. So please, please, please go to podcastawards.com slash app slash sign up. Toggle down to the sports category. This is the last chance to nominate us. We've got the link in the top of the episode description. Um, and there's apparently a pizza party versus pick six, Schrager. What's going on here? Yeah, winner gets a pizza party. We'll see if anybody's a finalist between us two, but we better beat out Brinson and those guys. How does uh, a pizza party work in today's age? We each get a box of pizza, eat it over Zoom, broadcast it. I think it sounds I'm, <laughs> I'm going to guess, uh, Heath, you, me, and Dave get to reap the rewards of the pizza party because we are technically still in the home base office. Uh, Schrager is not right now. Azer and Ben Gretsch get screwed because of where they live, but we can all take part in that if our bosses decide to purchase that. I, I've also, uh, somebody somebody tweeted at us, uh, will any of you shave your heads if um, a, 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 as a result of the nomination? I said if we win, I would shave my head. So if we win Ooh. the award, if we win the award, and I think he said he would do the same. Um, if we win, not, not just be nominated, win. We have to win. I'll shave my head. Okay. So Wait, I'm not going to be feeling any pressure here. I'm keeping my hair. It's great. You know what? <laughs> Screw it. I will shave Jamie's head also if we win, okay? <laughs> I am in. I love I it. I think, I'll tell you what. I will I will meet you at a neutral site, and you can shave my head. We'll do it on the air. <laughs> okay. Let's, like North uh, Carolina or something like that. North, okay, we'll drive. Whatever's halfway, we'll driving distance. No problem. And join our Facebook group, everybody. 
Search Fantasy Football today on Facebook. The link to that is also in the episode description. You can chat with our FFT team throughout the year. Fantasy Football today on Facebook. Let's go through some news and notes. Uh, oh, I forgot the biggest one. Uh, that uh, Lamar Jackson wants Antonio Brown, it seems. is uh, lobbying for him a little bit. Meanwhile, the Ravens have talked to Jordan Reed and Delaney Walker, according to The Athletic. Heath, any, anything here with these developments? It is interesting how it seems like all the quarterbacks want Antonio Brown. And um, he's unretired now for the 17th time. So I, it's something to watch. Um, I still think it's really tough like to bring in free agents at this point. So it, we may have to wait a little while longer, but it's kind of hard to believe that somebody won't take a shot at some point. All right, we'll play a fun hypothetical. I think everybody's got Mahomes ranked ahead of Jackson in six-point-per-passing touchdown leagues. If the Ravens sign Antonio Brown... No. no. If the Ravens sign Antonio Brown, are you still taking Mahomes over Jackson? Yes. <laughs> no, you're right, Heath. I was going to ask it the other way, but... Um, okay, so Heath says still Mahomes. Jamie Ben still Mahomes? Yes, and six points for passing. Yeah. Four points, I would take Jackson. All right. Uh, let's see. Tua Tagovailoa has been cleared to practice. The Chargers signed Joey Bosa to a five-year, $135 million deal. We talked about Ooh. Alshon Jeffrey on the pup list. Corey Davis is on the pup list, and so is right tackle Isaiah Wilson for the Titans. Is this a big deal? Ben? Um, it's not a good thing because they lost Jack Conklin. We talked about it a little bit yesterday, but Dennis Kelly is not um, a particularly bad replacement. It's just – and I, I think they're probably going to go with Kelly regardless. It's just, uh, uh, you know, an extension of the fact that they lost Conklin this offseason. Their offensive line is going to be a little bit worse. What about the Corey Davis news? I mean, what do you want me to say? <laughs> That's he wants fine. to say A.J. Brown's even better. Um, <laughs> I mean, A.J. Brown and John New Smith, you know, hopefully the, the, you know, the targets get even more concentrated for those two. Yeah, look, being on the pup list at this point doesn't mean you're going to be, uh, you, it doesn't mean you're going to be missing the first six weeks of the season or anything like that. You can always come off the pup list. We've got a long ways to go. Uh, um, I got three things for you. Uh-huh. Note. Uh, one, it was, uh, I think, the Mercury News. Um in their breakdown of the running backs of the 49ers suggested that if Jarek McKinnon is healthy, could be a threat to Tevin Coleman's job. Really? I found that fascinating to see. Uh, th- that's clearly just a writer speculating, but you know, you never know how that'll work itself out now that Raheem Mostert has his deal solidified. Uh, the Akron Beacon Journal suggests that Jarvis Landry is a big concern coming back from the hip injury, which I think we could expect, but not on the active pup list, which is a good sign for him but something to keep an eye on with his hip injury. And then, you know, we don't often get this. I was looking, you know, for some stuff, doing some some notes for the HQ show. Uh, Will Fuller not being on the active pup list, I think is a great sign. The fact that he's coming back from the hernia surgery, that he's going to seemingly be ready to go. You know, so as we keep an eye on, is it Cooks? Is it Brandon Cooks? Is it uh, Fuller? Who's going to be the number one receiver? They're replacing DeAndre Hopkins. A healthy Will Fuller would be very exciting. Bringing Ben to tears, the idea of a healthy... I have had a habit of like getting something in my windpipe during shows lately. I have no we idea had a, why. We had a fun debate, um, brief debate. Uh, so we did, uh, I think I mentioned this earlier, five guys to target, five guys to <laughs> Dave and for Heath. Uh, mine will be on Thursday. Um, and Dave had Will Fuller as a player that he's avoiding 
And so, you know, he brought up the injury concerns and, you know, his, his lack of consistent production. Um, and then he, you know, gave a, a little bit more uh, credibility to Brandon cooks that he's not getting the respect I think he deserves or that he thinks he deserves. Um, and it was funny because Dave said he likes the fact that Fuller is going in round six and round seven. I think that's where Ben and I are sort of fighting for <laughs> Fuller and Heath and Dave are like, Nope, I'm out unless it's round eight or later. <laughs> in our normal CBS ADP is like at the eight, nine turn right now. And so I do think for a lot of people out there, one of the things I tried to clarify on HQ was I'm anti Will Fuller a lot of times on the podcast because it's a Will Fuller in the sixth round discussion. If people are able to draft him in the eighth round, I'm pretty okay with Will Fuller. I think that's a that's the place where you you take shots at your lottery tickets. Yeah, and I think for me, I, I always have to debate between Will Fuller and Brandon Cooks. And what do you guys do there? I go Cooks. I go Fuller, and I just love that Heath had to close that by by calling Will Fuller a lottery ticket, which is just such a gross misstatement. But we what are you talking about? Like, we can be reasonable about players and what they have been in the NFL. Okay, he's he's been injured. That doesn't make him a lottery. He's also been productive when he's been. He had like two games with more than fifty yards last year. I think by the time the year is over, if he plays the one of them was the biggest score single season, single week. That's a lottery ticket. Yeah, you're not helping your case here, Ben. (laughs) I think. Well, I mean, okay, on a weekly basis, but that doesn't mean as a player he's a lottery ticket. As a pick, he's a lottery ticket. That that implies that the guy might be a total zero. This guy might be a total zero. He had the best single game in the last like five years last year. I know it's one game, but you can't just say that didn't happen. That was a fifty point fantasy game. A lottery ticket implies a huge upside. That is not a derogatory term. I think it's a fair, it's a fair, fair uh, uh, moniker to give him, you know. But I do think that if he plays thirteen plus games, which doesn't happen very often, I think it's maybe happened once for his career. Uh, we're going to see a, a a top twenty, if not top potential ten type of wide receiver. I On think a people, basis, people, you can call him a lottery ticket. I will accept that. Yeah, but people forget about two thousand eighteen. He was more consistent in two thousand eighteen. These were his non-PPR fantasy points. 17, 16, 10, 1, lottery ticket. 3, lottery ticket. 6, and 18. But that's 4 games out of 7 with double-digit fantasy points. 3 with 16 or more. 1 game with 6. 6 catches for 68 yards. It's a perfectly fine game. 2 horrible games. But he was a lot more consistent in 2018, and I think people overlook that with Will Fuller. I think the thing is, though, he's been in the NFL for four years, and the year you're choosing to tout his consistency is a year where he played less than half the year, and in 40% of those games, he scored six or fewer fantasy points. He's not a consistent player. No one's saying, I mean, I certainly am not ever trying to argue that a guy with his A dot and his like boom downfield profile is a consistent weekly player, but you were saying in a draft sense that he is a lotto ticket, which is something I reserve for like handcuffs where you're just like, hoping that they have the opportunity you, even. you're hoping that will fuller in year five produces the first good fantasy season of his career that's a fact so that i would that's think 2018 <laughs> i think 2018 was a pretty good season don't you i mean it was only seven games are you talking about per game or are you talking about a full season well of- i mean you know we we apply the 2018 season for half a year for aj green when we talk about how good he could be uh, i don't know why we can't do the same thing with will fuller let's get a little 16 game pace shall we in 2018, <laughs> let's see what it was. 73 catches, 1,150 yards, and nine touchdowns on 103 targets. That's pretty good. You know, that's He's going to be 120 targets if he's healthy. 
Yeah, well, that, that's a that's a play. If Will Fuller gets 120 targets, he's worth taking in the sixth round, isn't he? Yes. Yeah. Heath? Yes. Yeah. Oh, yeah, okay. yeah, for All sure. Right. All right, let's move on, guys. Um, top 10 at each position. I thought we'd go through this quickly and then talk about some of the kind of interesting points per game statistics. Let's start with, um, you know what, I gotta get a, I'm going to get half PPR queued up for the other positions, but we'll start with quarterback, and if anything stands out with the top 10. Top 10 quarterbacks, points per game. Uh, all right, Lamar Jackson won, Matthew Stafford and Drew Brees are two. Now tell me if you buy this. Drew Brees is really ahead of Matthew Stafford because Brees had that one game against the Rams where I think he threw five passes or something like that, and that counts. So Brees, I'm going to give Brees number two. We cool with that? Yeah. All right, yeah. You're Stafford still giving three. Stafford a top three spot. Yeah, he's three. Big deal. He's three. Um, well, I no, I don't think that is fair because Ryan Tannehill, I believe we're counting like two or three games where he came in in relief of Marcus Mariota. All right, I can I can try to do the math there. Um, Tannehill's in the top ten. It's Jackson. All right, well, you're still giving Stafford a top five spot, and that's pretty good. Yes, I would do that. <laughs> Breeze, Stafford, Prescott, Watson, Wilson, Mahomes. Winston Tannehill, not even counting. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Uh, Jeff Driscoll's ten. So after that, Matt Ryan. Matt Ryan ten. That's how good that offense is. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Jeff Driscoll and Wes Hills screw up the points per game so much. It's so annoying. Uh, Anything stand out there? Jackson, Stafford, Jackson, Breeze, Stafford, Prescott, Watson, Wilson, Mahomes, Winston, Tannehill, Ryan. Stafford does because his, and we've talked about this, but his average depth of target was a couple yards deeper than it had been for several years. It was over 10 yards per, per pass attempt, much more vertical, much more downfield passing. Uh, it hadn't been higher than eight since I believe it's 2013 or 2014, basically since the, the tail end of Calvin Johnson's career as his top targets in the interim years were, you know, Golden Tate and Theo Riddick, they're underneath guys. So new, new coordinator, Daryl Bevel, um, Tate and Riddick had moved along going into last year in, in the, in the like 18 months prior one was traded mid season, I believe. And then, and then Riddick was the off season after, um, and then Stafford, you know, now with Galladay and, and Jones has a completely different passing profile, throwing way more vertically and racks up a lot more numbers. Now his, his efficiency has got to regress a little bit, but I think he's a really interesting late round guy. What is Mahomes point per game points per game? If you take out the Denver game and he got hurt. <clears throat> All right, that's a good one too. He only played a quarter in that game. It's pro. It's, oh, you didn't answer stat that one. Well, no, I didn't. I didn't do that for every. Come on, stop! Please don't do that to me. All right, Stafford's uh, gonna wind up QB eight by the time we're done with this. How many? Uh, how many Mahomes. games did Mahomes play? He missed two, but he only played a quarter in the Denver game. Yeah, so you want to divide by thirteen. Ryan Tannehill was at 26.2 fantasy points per game as a starter. Mm -hmm. And Mahomes was at 25.3 without the Denver game. 26.2 would actually have made him number two ahead of. And then he averaged over 300 yards and threw 10 touchdowns in three playoff games. So that was cool, too. Mahomes, not Tannehill. Yeah, Mahomes' first three games before the ankle injury, he was on pace for a better season than he had in 2018. Yeah. Okay. So the thing that stands out, I think, is that the number two, three, and four quarterback on a per-game basis last year, no one's drafting in the top eight at the position. Yeah. And that would be Tannehill, Breeze, and Stafford? Yeah. Okay. That does does certainly – obviously, Breeze is the one that's going to go first there. So 
Uh, he, he'll be close to top eight, right? What is he going to be? Nine or ten? Uh, all right, cool. Let's go running backs here. Take a look at a half PPR league and running backs in 2019. Points per game. McCaffrey, one. This actually has Barkley, two. Uh, Zeke, three. Dalvin Cook, four. Derrick Henry, five. Kamara, six. Mixon, seven. Miles Sanders, eight. Kenyon Drake, nine. Aaron Jones, ten. That is interesting. Yeah, this doesn't I make had any looked sense. At the league, I, we actually talked about no, this last No, this week. is wrong. Derrick Henry was better than Dalvin Cook. This yeah, is and wrong. Sanders, that has to be. It's wrong. It's wrong. Yep. It was still showing projections. Either step. No, it was showing projections. I clicked the right thing. Okay, here we go. McCaffrey. <laughs> <laughs> not my fault. Clicked the right thing. I did, I swear. McCaffrey, Henry, Cook, Jones, Zeke. Okay, McCaffrey, Henry, Cook, Jones, Zeke. <laughs> Barkley, Eckler, Ingram, Wes Hills, Nick Chubb, and then Alvin Kamara is actually tied with Chubb for 10th. But you're doing draft the Lions running. You're back. doing non PPR, should also be clear. Half PPR. This is half PPR. Half PPR. Half PPR. Half PPR. Henry was second in half PPR. Yeah. No, you go. Now you go. Okay. <laughs> you want the list again? Which list? Yes. All right, here we go. Top 10, half PPR, points per game McCaffrey, Henry, Cook, Aaron Jones, Zeke. Barkley, Eckler, Ingram, Nick Chubb, Alvin Kamara. I think that shows you the ceiling for Kamara. What do you mean? He was because he was so bad, and he was still ten. He played through. We've talked a little bit about Henry. I f- I think it's notable that he was very very close to Cook, and not way ahead of like Jones or Zeke or Barkley. I mean, yes, he was RB two, but I still question his upside with the lack of receiving. Uh, he was only about a point in half PPR, only about a point higher than RB five at RB two. And he gets drafted, what, like RB6 or RB7 right now after that monster season. I, I feel like that's closer to his ceiling, trying to repeat what he did last year. He was nowhere close to McCaffrey, the RB1. I, I would argue that every running back that's drafted in the top six is being drafted closer to their ceiling. Sure. Wide receivers, Michael Thomas, Chris Godwin, Mike Evans. How about that? Two bucks at two and three overall. Julio Jones, DeAndre Hopkins, uh, Devontae Adams, Cooper Cup, Kenny Galladay, Tyree Kill, and Devontae Parker. Again, it's Thomas, Godwin, Evans, Julio, and Hopkins. A little surprised to see Julio and Hopkins at 4-5 and five in what was, kind of, what was a down year for them. Uh, Devontae Adams, Cooper Cup, Kenny Galladay, Tyree Kill, and Devontae Parker. It was a down people year for wide receivers. How, people don't remember how good Cooper Cup was in the first half. I mean, I don't remember it. I don't know if I'd talk about it enough. Um, he was phenomenal, and he finished top 10 for the full season because of it, even though late in the year he wasn't even necessarily playing a ton. Cup in the first half and Woods in the second half. Totally. Yep. Yeah, Cup first eight games, top three receiver, 792 yards, five touchdowns on 87 targets. He had the second most targets in the NFL, the second most receiving yards uh, among wide receivers. behind Adam, do me a favor. Uh, Azer stat, Devontae Adams, take out the first three games. Why? He played those games. I know, but things really changed for him from week four on. I think I have those already in my notes. You know me. Because he had double-digit targets in all but one game uh, coming back from the injury. How about Michael Gallup at wide receiver 15? I know he only went to 10, but I'm looking at it. He's at wide receiver 15 in points per game. We've talked about how good he was when he played. Man, he doesn't go anywhere close to that. He's another guy. Like I think you know, we keep talking about the veteran running backs. 
him, yeah. Cortland Sutton, you know, these guys that we think are going to be impacted by the rookie wide receivers. These guys are, are, are locked in with their quarterbacks, you know, yep. and, and I think you have to take that. Into, like I moved Gallup up, you know, I, I had him probably a little bit lower than I should have, but I moved him up about 10 spots after uh, the, the preseason games were ruled up. Tyreek Hill, because he had two games where he basically did nothing. Yeah, um, one eighty four. I mean, you got to azer stat all these guys out. Yeah, no. Yes. Look, this was not the point of this exercise. T- Devontae Adams kind of interesting. What happened? When I had he came those back. numbers, Heath, before fifteen point six per game and a half PPR for Tyreek Hill, which is a should be right on line with twenty eighteen for him. Fifteen point six would make him no, like eighthish, with like Allen Robinson. I don't think that's right, Heath. Maybe it's not. Okay, please let me uh, let me let me get back to this. Devonte Adams, <laughs> yes, in his last eight games after the injury, came back from the injury. This was his pace: 116 catches, 10 touchdowns, 182 targets, but only 1,238 yards. Only 10.7 yards per catch. Only 6.8 yards per target. It's very interesting. Now he crushed it in two playoff games. He had over 130 yards in both games, uh, 11 targets in both games. But do we make anything of that? I mean, 116 catches, but only 1,238 yards for Devontae Adams. That was his pace anyway in those last eight games. It was just noise. I mean, if you look at the last three, there were three games in a row over 90 receiving yards. So, yeah, I mean, he's got enough volume that it probably doesn't matter. Um, but that was kind of my argument last year was that if he didn't get the 10 targets per game, um, he's at seven and a half yards per target for his career. That's average, slightly above average. Um, he was 7.9 last year, which actually slightly above his career rate. Like he needs a ton of targets to have good yardage. I'm just going to read the top 10 at tight end, and then we're going to move to the interesting stuff. Kittle. Kelsey, almost tied. Hooper, Andrews, Ertz, Waller, Ingram, Cook, Disley, Disley, and Hunter Henry. All right, let's talk about this. Three rookie quarterbacks last year, Daniel Jones, Kyler Murray, and Gardner Minshew. They basically all averaged the same amount of fantasy points per game. Minshew was a little bit behind Jones and Murray, who were practically tied. But Minshew had two games that he didn't start. Jones had one game that he didn't start. So if you take away those games, it was actually Jones 1, Murray 2, Minshew 3, but all of them pretty close. Uh, and if you just want to look at what their paces were, Jones had the best passing stats, Murray had the best rushing stats, Minshew was right in the middle there. Murray and Minshew had very similar passing stats. Jones had the most turnovers. Um, Minshew also had a bit of a fumble problem, which I didn't realize. He was on pace for 16 fumbles, 9 lost in his starts. Murray... Lost two fumbles all year, and I think they were both in the last game of the season. But uh, you know, just in general, guys, the fact that those three quarterbacks were so close in fantasy points per game, Jamie, what do you make of that with Minshew, uh, Murray, and Jones? I mean, look, Minshew got, I mean, excuse me, uh, Murray got such a, a big addition this offseason that you know the hope is he takes a significant leap forward. But you know what you're kind of buying into with him because he's being drafted as a top six quarterback, you know, whether he's three or six, he's going in that range and and his ADP is in the fourth round on CBS. The other two guys are lottery ticket quarterbacks to tie in our our previous conversation um, or earlier conversation, excuse me. Um, 
Jones showed you what his upside could be with those four games over 30 fantasy points. You know that he has a chance to run a little bit. Both these guys do. Minshew was actually the number six quarterback in rushing yards last year with the games that he played. Jones would have been the number six quarterback on a 16 game basis. So they both have the chance. I think if they can run a little bit more, they were uh, uh, the pace for Jones and what Minshew did shy of 400 yards rushing. If they can get to that 500 yard threshold, that would be awesome. So um, the receiving core for the Giants is potentially great if everybody's healthy. Uh, offensive line could be an issue now. But, you know, if you're going to be in the camp of weight on quarterback, which I think as a whole, we will tell you that, um, you could take both those guys, Jones and Minshew, and know that you're getting what was a floor last year of around 20 fantasy points with the ceiling to potentially be a lot better. So I, I like Jones better than Minshew, but I can certainly see the upside in both. And I'll, I also kind of want to throw out that both those guys didn't play a full season. We are using smaller samples and Murray did. And, and while that's not, you know, the biggest deal in the world for the, for them, the hope I think is you see them maintain the pace that they showed in a kind of a small sample over a 16 game season, they'd be low end QB ones. Um, Murray was last year in both scoring systems for the full season stats, not for points per yeah, game, Yeah, not per game. Right. But um, the note on Murray that is basically his floor as I see it. I mean, he had 3,700 passing yards. I don't know that he'll get much fewer than that. We expect Arizona to run more plays because they're pace, all those things. He also only had 20 passing TDs because in five of his first eight career games, which were also the first eight career games of head coach Cliff Kingsbury's NFL career, he threw zero passes, zero touchdown passes in five of those eight games. That's very rare, frankly. He had a 2.4% pass TD rate in that first half, 5.2% in the second half, more than double. I'm not saying he's going to be 5.2% forever, but we did see in the second half of the season, they figured some things out. And I would expect his full season pass TD percent of 3.7% from last year to rise a little bit. Maybe not all the way up to 5.2% like the second half number, but to be better, I would expect him to throw more than 20 TDs and throw more passes and more yards. And he has Hopkins and that rushing gives him that back end QB one floor already last year. He showed it with bad passing numbers. Yeah, we're it's it's just I think this illustrates we're drafting Kyler Murray to take a massive, massive leap. And we're drafting Minshew and Daniel Jones to be worse than they were last year. Like based on ADP, that's what the ADP would tell you is we we're think not. Kyler I think Murray I just made a really good case that we're not drafting Kyler Murray to take a massive leap. I, I, I think he's the number three four, or four quarterback in ADP. Number three or four. And like he's that's actually a massive on, on leap. CBS, he's the seventh quarterback. Which Seventh is, on CB. Okay. Yeah, Josh, Josh Allen's fourth ahead of him. But, but even at three, it's the same point you made with the running backs. You're drafting him near their upside regardless. The point I'm making is he was QB eight, I think, in full season last year in, in four points per passing touchdown and then QB 10 in six points. And that was with completely unsustainable passing numbers, right? Like the, the volume should go up and the efficiency should go up if you really look at his passing. So what's his floor? Is his floor really that low? Because if, if he's going QB3 and four-point-per-passing TD leagues, like the NFC where he is, and he was QB8 in that scoring system last year, and that's you know basically his floor, is I'm, like, how, how much of a leap are we really saying he has to take? Well, to be better than like about um, 100 fantasy points? Like We're drafting me better than Dak Prescott and Russell Wilson and, and Deshaun Watson. <laughs> Just by comparison, again, this is CBS ADP, so take that for what it's worth. A lot of our drafts have not happened yet. But Kyler Murray is going as the seventh quarterback off the board at 47.1. Gardner Minshew is going as the 29th quarterback off the board at 168.6. 
Well, it's too low for Minshew, 29th. That's yeah. wild. But, but I don't. But again, I, but none of us know, have. He's a, not going to rise that much. I mean, he may get to QB 20. Oh, he's yeah, he's 25 or worse basically everywhere. So I don't know. Right. Like, so he'll change a little bit. Value. Yeah, he's a Maybe great. Maybe the 20th quarterback. Maybe. Okay, but do we have a we do we have a problem with people drafting Kyler Murray to reach his ceiling? You know, sixth, sixth or seventh? No. What about third or fourth? I don't see an argument to draft him over Dak. So, so on our side again, uh, Dak is the third quarterback, and he is going. Uh, his ADP is like twenty sixth, but he's essentially the twenty third player being drafted. So he's being selected at the end of round two. Well, we can't really go by this, can we? Well, I mean, it's the site we work for. Yeah, so but I it's would... but it's by we know what it is. It's it, too it, early it, in the process. It's all within a relative. It's, it's too all early. within a relative range of every other site when you talk about ADP. Some of the the yeah. guys are skewed a little bit, but it's within the same range. So, so like on on NFPC, Kyler's going third, but Watson's going sixth, and they're all thirteen picks apart from fifty three to sixty six. Like that's the other kind of right. This, sorry is, to this cut is you a, off, this is a twenty twenty uh, draft difference. Twenty draft spot difference. Yeah. I'm assuming there's some auto picks in there and some projections that are, you know. Yeah, like I said, our ADP will change, but it's, yeah, it's going to change. Yeah, not like so skewed from other ADPs. But my my the point I was trying to make real, and I kind of cut Jamie off, sorry. But with the the fact that the QB three through QB six, they're going close in a lot of places, except for Jamie just re- referenced on CBS. Dak's going really high, and, and Murray's going a lot later. Um, but when they do go similarly, it doesn't matter that Kyler Murray's QB three. Um, he's not he's not being drafted right behind Patrick Mahomes in the second round, right? Like he's being drafted in a big group with QB three through QB six, and that's what I'm saying. Like I, I do think the floor to ceiling range matters. I don't think we're drafting him at a place where um, we're projecting him to be some kind of massive superstar. There is a ton of upside here. There is a ton of passing upside as well as the rushing upside. There is the shades of Lamar Jackson. He's way more Lamar Jackson than Baker Mayfield, which people are comparing him to based on ADP, this the second-year guy that we're, we're all lofting up too high. But his rushing gives him a floor and a ceiling combination that Baker didn't have last year. And he already showed that last year. He showed that floor last year. And I don't think we're, we're drafting him just for ceiling. His floor is high enough that he, he belongs in this group. Okay, let's go to running backs. How about this? In PPR, James Conner averaged more fantasy points per game than Joe Mixon. And that was with Conner leaving two games very early with injury and having basically no stats in those games. And yet he still outscored Joe Mixon, James Conner did, in PPR. In half PPR, they're almost tied. In non-PPR, Joe Mixon was better than Conner on a per-game basis. I don't know about if you take out those two games, but I thought that was really interesting, and it's the catches because his 16-game pace, if you take out the two games where he played less than 20% of the snaps, was 66 catches, 490 yards, and six touchdowns. For Connor and Mixon hasn't come anywhere close to that. So Heath, what do you make of that? James Connor better per game than Joe Mixon last year in PPR and tied in half PPR. I am the wrong guy to ask um, <laughs> because I, I I have I don't have Joe Mixon as a first round pick, and I don't like I think that there's just some hope based on Joe Mixon's skill level that the Bengals will use him in a way that they haven't used him yet in his career. Well, I mean, it's final eight games they use him that way. Well, they didn't throw to him that way. He just had really good rushing efficiency. Well, he had the most carries in the NFL, too, in that stretch. Well, I mean, also, you know, Adam, if you're going to take out some games, uh, Mixon left week one with an ankle injury and wasn't healthy in week two. Oh, he Okay, you're right. He wasn't healthy. And that was the thing. He played a lot of the first half. 
with an ankle injury. But in PPR, the catch difference for Mixon and Connor is fairly significant. You're right. I probably should have taken out week one for Mixon, but... I mean, look, I, I, I'm, I'm a Joe Mixon fan. I don't know where Ben comes out on this. I know you kind of have gone back and forth with the holdout news earlier. I don't know if we've talked about it since then, how you feel about Mixon. So jump in at any point. But um, I, I'm looking at him in the same type of as the same type of player with a higher receiving potential, like a Derrick Henry, like a Nick Chubb, like a Josh Jacobs, you know, guys that are going to be high volume rushers and maybe take a step forward in their passing game numbers you know so Mixon was you know basically in the final eight games around three catches a game uh he had a couple four catch games he had a couple of no catch games you know so he's he's gonna not necessarily take that huge leap you know I think we we kind of look at that 50 number as something that if a guy can get to 50 or more like Zeke has done the last two years um if they're able to be an elite level rusher they can be a first round pick so I don't think and, and again as a Mixon guy I'm not gonna say he's a better pass catcher than James Conner that's stupid but factoring in health and factoring in what Mixon should be able to do as a rusher with less competition. I mean, the Steelers, the fact that they brought in Wendell Smallwood could be a special teams move, could be a concern about, you know, is Connor at some point going to opt out because he's a cancer survivor? You know, he says he's not, but you never know. Um, I, I just don't know. But they've added competition to that backfield each of the last two years. Uh, I feel more comfortable with Mixon, but yeah. this isn't an anti-Connor thing. Like, I think Connor as a pass catcher could be great. Well, listen, I, I got I to clarify here. I'm not saying, when I give that first stat, I'm not saying Daniel Jones and Kyler Murray are the same. And I'm not saying that James Connor and Joe Mixon are the same. I understand why people are taking Mixon. I just think that that stat is very interesting, that maybe there is some some value that, that we're not seeing. It's a way to evaluate these players and what they did in PPR last year. Uh, and I think it's it's worth saying this wasn't a one-year thing with Connor and Mixon. The yeah. year before... Connor scored 40 more fantasy points and played one less game. And Connor was being drafted at Mixon last year, too. Yeah, it's interesting. If Connor gets that that roll back and he's a feature back, and, and the Steelers, you, we talk about 50 catch running backs. Steelers almost always have a 50 catch running back. Sometimes they have like a, an 80 catch running back with Le'Veon Bell. Um, you know, I just I just thought this one was worth bringing up. I'll give you the, the last word, Ben, uh, on Connor and Mixon. Oh, I, I agree with Jamie that the Steelers bringing in more competition matters. I mean, when Connor was really great in 2018, Jalen Samuels was a rookie and Benny Snell and Anthony McFarland weren't on the, on the roster yet. So they have a, a completely different running back room than 2018. Um, and I, I agree with Heath on, on Mixon where it is hard for me as well to project this big um, receiving role when he essentially never played more than 75% of the snaps, which is kind of required for a three down first round running back. He did it, I think twice all season. They even when he was getting those tons of, of rush attempts late in the season, um, wasn't wasn't playing enough on passing downs for me to to really like him in the first round. He's a tough one. He's a, he's a tricky one. One thing I will note on him though is Zach Taylor gave him twenty five carries inside the ten last year. He only scored five touchdowns there. He's not yet had a a ten TD season, but Taylor showed that he liked to use mix in there. So if the offense improves, um, you know he could have a, a lot a lot more touchdowns this year than we saw the last couple of years. Only 16 catches in those last eight games when he was the number four running back in fantasy. He had 177 carries, but only 16 catches. Uh, next running back stat, Marlon Mack. Let's take a look at Marlon Mack and maybe see how it relates to Jonathan Taylor. Where has he finished per game each of the last two seasons? In 2018, it was a really good year for him. He was 12th in non-PPR and 19th in PPR. Marlon Mack last year was 14th in non-PPR and 23rd in PPR. And he was on pace for 260 carries in, eight, in 2018 
and 282 carries in 2019. So talking about a guy who's getting 16, 17 carries per game and he can't crack the top 15 in PPR, um, didn't crack the top 10 in non-PPR, this guy just very rarely catches the ball. Uh, Jamie, what does this stat mean for you with Marlon Mack? And Jonathan Taylor, how it relates. I, I mean, I, Ben is probably the better person to ask about this because of the the superior athlete that Taylor should be compared to Marlon Mack and, and what he should be able to do with those touches. Um, I don't think that Taylor is going to come in and all of a sudden become a significant factor in the passing game. It just doesn't make sense with what they have on their roster and how he's performed uh, as a collegiate player. I mean, he, he's, he's a better receiver than people give him credit for. That goes without saying. But are they going to force him into that role with an aging quarterback, with a, a, a pass catcher in Naheem Hines, uh, with a gadget player in Paris Campbell that can line up in the backfield? And Marlon Mack was used a little bit more as a receiving option as a rookie than he was uh, his, his last two years. So I think we could see you know, Taylor take advantage of what this offensive line is and what those rushing opportunities should be to be a better player. Uh, I know that's what Ben is hoping for, but, um, you know, Mac is it, it, it's funny. Cause like, I, I hate, you know, pooping on Mac because I think he's been a good fantasy option for us. Um, he's just not a guy that's going to go to that next level, you know? So yeah, that, that's where I think Taylor comes in. It's in, the only thing I would say in defense of him is that it is interesting that he's been a top 25, even PPR back playing 45% of the snaps most weeks. Like he's not a guy that has played. It seems like he might be able to be a top 30 guy if he plays 45% of the snaps still. And he's being drafted as like a number 40 running back. You know, what I think of Marlon Mack all the time. Um, like Joseph Adai was a good running back. I don't think he was ever great. And I feel like Marlon Mack's like kind of the same type of player. They're, they're different guys, but you know, in terms of like perception, like you would always draft Joseph Adai going, well, he's Peyton Manning's running back and the Colts offense is really good. Marlon Mack was Andrew Luck's running back. You know, he's putting up good numbers, especially, you know, last year, the offensive line, whatever, blah, blah, blah. But I just feel like if, if you get a player of Taylor's caliber and what he can do in this scenario, you're going to be a lot happier if those numbers go to what they potentially could be. And I'll say, you guys have all heard my thoughts on Taylor, but to Heath's point about Mac, if I wasn't like drafting him? so much Taylor, yeah, I, I'm kind of fond of him. If if I wasn't drafting so much Taylor, I would probably be drafting more Mac. He's weirdly underpriced. And and part of my whole take on Taylor is I like the setup for this backfield. I like the fact that their offensive line is so good. I like the fact that their schedule in the first half is so soft. Yeah. Uh, and and I think there's going to be enough running back touches for Taylor to get some, but I still think there's going to be plenty for Mac to get some. So I agree with Heath. He could very easily beat his ADP. I think when you look yeah, at the if stats, there was no Taylor, we I, I don't know where you guys have Mac. He'd be top fifteen, easy for me. He'd be way up there, yeah. Not in PPR though. Maybe not. He'd quite be close. PPR. Well, I, I yeah, I just I just said though, like he hasn't been that on a per game basis. He's the last two years. But this this is my point. If I told you I'm giving you a running back that in two seasons is going to average four point seven and four point four yards per carry and get like sixteen and a half and seventeen and a half carries per game both years. And he's still not going to be a top 15 PPR running back. That tells you just how valuable catches are for running backs. Not just the catches, but all the yards and all the production that comes with it. I thought that, I thought that was pretty interesting. And hey, while we're on Mac, I want to, I want to give one stat on Mac that I think is a really interesting one. He played 
I got to pull it up really quick, but he played, I believe it's uh, 60 plus percent of the snaps. He played 14 games last year. And in the first seven, I think he played at 60 plus percent of the snaps in all of them. And then in the last seven, I think he only did it one time. I'm just going to confirm that real quick. And people say this because he had nagging injuries. He actually broke his hand in the second half. He did not have a nagging injury in the second half. His ankle injury was in the first half when they were using him heavily. And that's the one game he didn't hit 60% of the snaps in the first half. He left with an ankle injury and he was on the injury report the next week with an ankle injury. Second half, he broke his hand. Presumably when he came back, he was healed up from a broken hand. It wasn't a nagging injury. But yeah, the stats are in, in seven games in the first half, over 60% of the snaps six times. And then in the second half, he didn't hit 60% once. So I kind of feel like Indianapolis already kind of made their decision last year that they didn't want, they didn't, they they tried the three down or or full workload Marlon Mack and they didn't want to do that. All right, guys. I got to go do a hit for uh, HQ on the Jaguars. Keith, what would you like me to say about Gardner Minshew? Um, Basically, Kyler Murray just 10 rounds later. Tyler Murray. There we go. We've learned so much today. (laughs) All right, everybody. uh, We're going to take a quick break here on Fantasy Football today. When we come back, wide receiver and tight end stats, plus your Apple podcast questions and your emails at fantasyfootball.cbsi.com. We'll be right back. Did you know that while over 60% of Americans dream of starting their own business, less than 20% of them take the first step? The reason? Building a business is tough. Taylor Brands is simplifying the business journey. From launching and managing to grow in your business, Taylor Brands isn't just another tool. It's your online business partner from launch to success. With Taylor Brands, building your dream business becomes an effortless experience. Their comprehensive platform guides you through every step, ensuring you have everything you need in one place. From LLC formation to bookkeeping, invoicing to acquiring licenses and permits, and even setting up your bank account, Taylor Brands handles it all seamlessly. And our listeners will receive 35% off Taylor Brands LLC formation plans using our link, taylorbrands.com slash CBS Sports. That's T-A-I-L-O-R-B-R-A-N-D-S dot com slash CBS Sports. So start your business journey today with Taylor Brands. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Julian Edelman was ninth in points per game last year in PPR. He was 19th in non-PPR. The highest that Dave, Jamie, or Heath have him in the rankings in PPR is 28th. Ben, where do you have Julian Edelman in the rankings? 39th. Wow. Wow. Ninth last year, guys. And Heath, you're the high guy. So 19th in non-PPR, 9th in PPR. I'll tell you where he was in half PPR, but are we too low on Edelman? I should tell you where I have him in projections, though, because it's a lot higher than that. But sorry. Um, let, let Heath comment. Yeah, I th- I think we are too. I I think we are, especially with half of the Patriots' defense choosing not to play this year. Um, now I do think that could hurt their play volume. One of the reasons they've been able to run a lot of plays is because their defense has been really good, and that helps. But I don't like. I, I kind of went through a stage this summer where I thought Bill Belichick is just going to run the ball sixty percent of the time and play good defense, and that's enough to win the AFC East. And now I don't really think that probably is with his defensive situation. And Nikhil Harry certainly has upside and talent, but 
the expectation should probably be that Julian Edelman's going to lead the team in targets. And so, yeah, I think we're probably too low on Julian Edelman. I agree with pretty much all that. And he comes out 29th in my projections and I'm a little bit low on him in projections, but definitely have him leading the team as he said. And, and I agree with his comments on the defense. I was, when I did this projection, I had them a little bit more run heavy for those same reasons. And, and now I probably have to reconsider that because they've lost some key pieces on D the problem for me with Edelman is he's 34 years old. He played 16 games last year, and that was great. It was the first time since 2016, and that was the first time since 2013. He missed all of the 2017 season. He's missed huge parts of other seasons. And again, he's 34 now. And then also we know that he's he's missing Tom Brady, and so much of his production came with that preternatural connection with the option routes and everything else. That's going to take a little bit of getting used to with Cam Newton. Uh, I still agree with with everything he said about the, the targets and everything. I just don't take him. I have him ranked so low because I don't take him because of his age and his injury history. It just at this point, like I would rather invest in a Will Fuller at the exact same. I have Fuller definitely ranked higher uh, because he's a 26-year-old who, yes, hasn't shown us it yet, but there's guys that have struggled with injuries early in their careers. Fuller reminds me so much of Keenan Allen. It's different than Julian Edelman, who's never been able to play back-to-back 16-game seasons in his entire career. To be clear, I, I might be remembering this wrong. 2018, he was suspended for four yeah. games, right? Mm-hmm. So he has not missed a game due to injury since 2015. Okay. Well, I but I forgot about he that. tore his ACL, didn't he? Yeah, he missed, missed all of 2017. Missed, the full season. He missed 2017. I'm sorry. He's not missed, whole okay. season that isn't in the line. <laughs> right. But the so he, he, has, he has missed almost as many games as Will Fuller last year. <laughs> uh, yeah, the thing, I, you know, it's, the thing with Edelman is when I look at him where he is in the rankings, it's like you've got a lot of really high upside players that people are excited about, like McLaurin and A.J. Brown and A.J. Green and D.J. Chark and D.K. Metcalf and all that. And it's hard, I think, for fantasy managers to draft Edelman over them. But you know what? Like, he was number nine in points per game. Is he really going to be outside the top 30 this year? We'll see, right? Um, Like, we're too low. I will be moving him up a little bit more in PPR rankings. And and certainly in points per game. He won't be outside the top 30. I'm probably way too low on him, too. And, and I right. was raising my hand when you were saying that about those upside receivers. All right, then let's go to Diggs and Brown. Let's go to the Bills. Stefan <laughs> Diggs and John Brown averaged the same amount of fantasy points last year in non-PPR. Brown a little bit better than Diggs in PPR. Um, th- yeah, so what what do you make of that? Are you just trolling, Ben? Or is this just like a, a little cookie you're throwing me? <laughs> I have no no issue with this whatsoever. Diggs was clearly pigeonholed last year. He led his team by tar- in targets by like 20. They just didn't throw at all. The, the Bills will throw a little bit more, but not a ton more. But he is the far superior receiver to John Brown. He's, he can do it at all depths. John Brown's a deep threat. John Brown was very good last year. Should have been even better, but Josh Allen missed him on some deep shots. But Diggs is going to be the number one. They didn't trade a first and three other draft picks to make Diggs uh, an even keel with a, a deep threat that weighs like 175 pounds. So we think that Diggs <laughs> is going to go back to his pre 2019 role, right? No, I think it's going to be a combination of both because they pigeonholed him in 2018 too. They, the Vikings misuse Stefan Diggs is my take. Okay. And the bills didn't trade what they traded for him to misuse him. That's the other part of my take. It should be noted. They scored the same amount of fantasy points in non PPR and Brown had 21 more targets than Stefan Diggs. I think follow-up question would be... I would say the earning targets is a skill. Does the... Well, but Diggs led it his is. team. They both led it their is. team he in led targets. Team by a ton, yeah. All right, so question, the follow-up question is this. Do the, does Stefan Diggs have 
number one wide receiver upside when you consider not a lot of passing yards in this offense. And John Brown is just probably better than people give him credit for, you know? So that's the follow-up question. Does John Brown's presence limit Stefan Diggs's upside? Josh Allen's presence limits Stefan Diggs's upside. I agree but with yes. that. Oh, Jamie's back. I, I don't think I don't think with like I don't know what, what range we want to go to to discuss upside. If we're talking about bins, and this is not a shot, but you brought it up, so I said bins. One percent outcomes thing. Then of course he has top twelve upside. But I don't think like reasonable upside. I don't think Diggs has top twelve upside. I haven't projected in the top twelve, so I completely disagree with that. How many targets do you think Diggs is going to get? I don't have him projected in the top 12. That was a lie. I did at one point, but I moved him down a little bit, obviously. He was I'm, in at 130, I'm at 130 targets. Wow. And far far lower efficiency than than typical for him because of Josh Allen. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I think it's as simple as what, what role do you think he's going to play? I think he's going to come in and take a lot of Cole Beasley's short and intermediate targets. Beasley had over 100 targets last year for the first time in his career. He's great. He's fine. But he's a 30-plus-year-old slot receiver who's never done what he did last year. And then I think he's going to also take plenty of the downfield shots. And, and he was the most efficient downfield receiver in the NFL last year. He was a lot better getting 40 more targets in this offense than he had a year ago. Yeah, because the, I think the team's going to throw more too. But yeah, absolutely. I, I just saw it as like, well, John Brown's kind of earned a big role. So I don't, you know, how many targets do you have John Brown getting? We'll just wrap here. You have 130 for digs. What is it? 100, 102. 102. All right. He had 115 last year. All right, Jamie, he's our last wide receiver stat. Sterling Shepard in PPR. Sterling Shepard averaged more points per game than Cortland Sutton. Non-PPR, it was flipped. Sutton was better. But Shepard was actually on pace for 91 catches. Um, yeah, how, how do you feel about that? Shepard, better per game than Cortland Sutton in PPR. I love Sterling Shepard this year. Uh, he averaged, I think it was like 14 PPR points per game in the starts that he made with Daniel Jones. Um, I think it was seven games that those two guys played together. In six of them, he had nine or more targets. Um, we talked about this again on, on HQ. One of the guys Dave is targeting is Darius Slayton, and he's going five spots ahead of Shepard, uh, about ten sp- uh, five wide receiver spots ahead of him, 10 spots overall on, on CBS Sports ADP. I, I, I almost think that Shepard is, is the better player. For me, he's a better player in PPR. You know, I, I could see if you're trying to hit a home run with Slayton. To me, he's, he's a lottery ticket type of receiver, more so than Will Fuller is. Um, but Shepard is – he's – the 49th receiver off the board on, on our site. That's just amazing. You know, so I, I think Shepard is, uh, look, the injuries are a problem. Um, you know, he's banged up last year. Again, you know, the, the same argument you can make about Slayton. This was, you know, one thing he said in, in uh, arguing Slayton's upside is that, you know, most of the numbers that he put up last year, he did without Shepard on the field, Tate on the field, Ingram on the field, and, and Barkley. When all those guys are together, it's hard, I think, for all these guys to stand out to maybe the level that they can. But you know, Shepard, uh, he doesn't have the same type of ceiling that Cortland Sutton has, but he's certainly the better value. Okay. Tight end's kind of boring. Two tight end stats. <laughs> George Kittle was number one in points per game. People should know that. Very, very similar to Kelsey, but he was Without better. touchdowns, too. Oh, yeah. Oh. Kyle Shanahan is bad for touchdowns. He has been. I don't think anyone's had more than five in three years in San Francisco receiving touchdowns. Um, Jared Cook was fifth in non PPR, tenth in PPR. I, I've got one for you. All right, cool. Jason Witten averaged more fantasy points per game last year than Mike Gasicki. 
Okay, now we're trolling. <laughs> I like Blake Jarwin. So cool. <laughs> that was a Blake well, Jarwin. The more I think about Blake Jarwin, the more excited I am. Yep. Yeah. All right, Apple Podcast questions. Thanks so much for your reviews, everybody. Appreciate it. And your questions from Don Pablo. Hey, Phil, Will, Jazz, and Carlton. Fresh Prince. 12-team non-PPR, six-point per passing touchdown. Keep one. Josh Jacobs in the fourth. Remember, it's non-PPR. Josh Jacobs in the fourth, Austin Eckler in the eighth, and Kyler Murray in the tenth. Keep one? Mm Mm-hmm. I would keep Eckler. Either Eckler or Jacobs. I don't think you keep a QB in the 10th in this situation. I would keep Jacobs. I think I might take Jacobs too. From Amarvi, is my Superflex Dynasty team win now or should I stock up on future picks? If so, who should I trade away? He has Daniel Jones and Tua. He has Ronald Jones, Sony Michelle, and Kenyon Drake. Change the order of these, right? Give me Drake. It first. is not win now. Uh, Cortland Sutton. No, it's definitely not. Justin Jefferson, Henry Ruggs, Lavisca Chenault, Hunter Henry, Chris Herndon, Colcomet. No, it's not win now. No. Trade Kenyon Drake and Cortland Sutton and Hunter Henry. And if somebody would give you something for him, Sony Michelle as well. Why Sutton? Why trade him? Um, I don't think this is going to be a win next year team either once you trade those guys. And I think by next year, Jerry Judy might be the number one on the on the Broncos. I'm not sure Sutton's value will be higher than it is right now. Next email from Flo John. Standard keep standard 10 team league, keep three. Derek Henry in the third, Tyreek Hill in the fifth, uh Eckler in the sixth, Ertz in the ninth, and Hunt in the tenth. Henry Hill Eckler. Right? Henry, Henry in the third. Hunter. Hill in the no, fifth. It, Eckler in the sixth. Not for me. It's uh oh, it oh it's standard. Yeah. This is non-PPR. Mm-hmm. Okay. I, I can understand Henry in the third then. I, for me, it would be Hill and, and Eckler for sure. I was thinking Ertz in the ninth is is a pretty interesting one, but in standard. I would probably go Henry Hill and Ertz. Yeah. From oh, Evan Ertz. Evan Phillips 36. Heath, I need to hear the story of you throwing out the first pitch at the Royals game. Uh, that happened? Yeah. I worked nice. for a company in Kansas City, and um, we had a like a company event at the game. And so it was like four or 500 employees, and I won a drawing to get to throw the first game out. But unfortunately, they had – I was like 22 years old when this happened, and we had like an enormous tent and free food and booze for two hours before the game. Um, I got in trouble for bringing my drink onto the field at one point, but then I threw, like I had a female um, employee was the catcher and we, she was very concerned that I was going to throw one in the dirt and hit her in the shin. And so we made an agreement. Okay. I'll, I'll throw it high. You just stand up. Cause I've seen him do that on the first pitch before the catcher kind of stands up just a little bit early and they catch it. So I actually threw it right where I was aiming. And she completely froze, did not even move her glove, like just sat here like this. The ball goes over her head. The cameraman was behind her. And so I have the video of me throwing this ball and the cameraman at the last second ducking out of the way. <laughs> and it went to the backstop. Oh, we got to see the video. Come That's on. Great. It's, um, it's on VHS only. So one day. All right. You'll we'll come over. Why don't you uh, videotape it on your phone and tweet yeah. it out. 
Yeah, that works. It's not a very, like, I think I need to get it, take it to like a place and have it converted because it's a pretty terrible, like, this is a 20 year old VHS. It all sounds tape. bogus to me, Heath. A lot of excuses. <laughs> on my phone. You think I would make up a story that makes me sound that bad? That doesn't make you sound bad necessarily. I, I think it's a, a it's a funny story. <laughs> uh, all right, this is from M. W. Martin. You da- you guys talk about the injury concerns for Dalvin Cook. What about Kamara's injury history? I don't think he has been able to put together a full sixteen any year. I think that he sat out week seventeen once. Guys, I don't. Does Kamara have an injury history? No, he had a high ankle sprain last year. That's it. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know about this one. Sorry, M. W. Martin. I wouldn't be concerned about it. Anybody concerned about it? No, no. All right. Only missed two games with a high ankle sprain. Played through it. Guy's tough. I actually am unconcerned about it. From Chucky Buckle. I'm in a league where you pay real cash for each transaction after the draft. Most teams carry at least two at each position. With this format, would you be more likely to draft the early, more guaranteed quarterbacks and tight ends and less likely to stream? Certainly would be less likely to stream. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, make a yeah. Move every week. Jamie and I played in a league like that, a baseball league. Yes, I uh, with the same same person, uh, James Questell, our uh, former fantasy football today producer. When the show first started uh, back in two thousand and seven, um, so it's uh, it's a football league that I help him with, and the decisions are tough. You know, especially uh, when you're getting to the point in the year where you're got to decide: are you going all in, or are you staying out uh, to protect your finances? So. Um, it makes it, it makes it challenging. You see a lot of teams that will not make transactions early in the year just with the, hey, this guy might be good. You know, it's it's got to be something that's, you know, pretty close to a short thing or you really need a player. That's going to do it for today's show. We've got Ross Tucker coming on tomorrow's show. Very much looking forward to that. Thanks so much to all of you for listening. Hope this was a helpful show for you. And we got position previews coming up next week. Can you believe it? Next week. For Jamie, for Heath, for Ben, for the other Ben, I'm Adam. We'll talk to you on Friday, everybody. Have a good one. From producers Matt Damon and Ben Affleck, explore how art and music sustained hope during the siege of Sarajevo, thanks in part to humanitarians and the band U2. Kiss the Future, new documentary now streaming exclusively on Paramount+. Plus. Go to Paramount Plus to try it free. Terms apply.